John 4. Beginning in verse 3, it reads this way, So he left Judea and returned to Galilee, speaking of Jesus. And he had to go through Samaria, and on the way he eventually came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please, for, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. I'm going to talk about that for a moment. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons that his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, this woman said, give me this water, and then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim? where our ancestors worship. Verse 21, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed, it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way, for God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I want to talk to you tonight about worship, and I believe this story is about worship. Now, it's about lots of things, but the main theme, I believe, of this text is worship, because that's where Jesus takes the conversation to. And the end of the conversation, I think, is supposed to be a, a filter, if you will, or a lens, rather, that you see the rest of the encounter. Let's talk about worship tonight, specifically worship as acts of expression and praise through music that declare God's glory. Let me read the first part of that again. Worship as acts of expression and praise through music that declare God's glory and our devotion to Him. But we can't truly understand worship until we first understand its source, and that's going to be where we spend the majority of our time tonight. But I don't want to ignore some of the other verses here because I want to connect them for you. We're not going to talk about them in great detail. We're going to cover some ground tonight, but these, you can always download these notes online every week. Verse 9, when the Holy Spirit inspires John to point out the conflict that exists between Samaritan and Jews, I believe he's doing that because he's trying to tell us something about worship. Specifically, he's trying to tell us something that inhibits worship. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Like I'm talking about Kevin McCarthy, Nancy Pelosi kind of strife. Are you with me? Let's bring it modern. Fox News, CNN kind of strife. You tracking with me? Now you're understanding. There's animosity in this world that we can relate to. Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon, they're not buddies. 2,000 years ago, there was animosity in the world just like there is today. And part of the animosity that existed then is one of the reasons why there's animosity today, and that's because of racism. 
Jews and Samaritans despised each other. I believe that the Holy Spirit is bringing this central to this conversation about worship because he's saying, if you have unresolved conflict in your life, unnecessary conflict, it will be an inhibitor to worship. Verses 12 through 15, again, we see Jesus here using water in a desert as an illustration to help her become aware of a spiritual need that she's unaware of. Her soul is just as thirsty as her physical body, and she doesn't even know it. I remember years ago, one of my first jobs coming out of college, I worked for an international child sponsorship agency whose international headquarters was in Richmond, and they were bringing national directors from nations all over the world for a conference, and then I was tasked with, with uh, being an escort, so they weren't traveling alone in the States from, uh, from Richmond to D.C., so I was on a train ride with all these national directors, and one of them that I was sitting next to was looking out the window... And he didn't say anything. He just stared and stared and stared and stared. Finally, he looked at me, and he had this bewildered expression on his face, and he said, I did not know that you had so much water here. Because in the African nation where he comes, people die because they don't have water. And on that train ride from Richmond to D.C., how many times have you made that drive yourself? We forget... We take for granted that if we're thirsty, we can just get something to drink. But that's not the story of everybody throughout the world. And as I was reading the story, I was reminded of that, that journey that, that some people in certain parts of the world, they're incredibly aware of their physical need because of the conditions in which they live. Jesus is using that situation to say to this woman, there's another condition that's inside of you that, that's just as important, and you don't even know that you have it. A lack of spiritual awareness inhibits our worship. Sometimes we forget that we are more spiritual than we are physical. This is just transportation, people. Verse 21. When Jesus says that there will come a day where it doesn't matter where you worship, that would have been blasphemous for a Jewish person to say that 2,000 years ago. Blasphemous. Jerusalem was the center of worship for all Jewish people throughout the world. This is Jesus reminding us that if we have an over-adherence to religious tradition, it can inhibit our worship. We like tradition here. Tradition is important to us. Tradition will always be important until the point where tradition becomes our God instead of pointing us to the one that we serve. Verses 23 and 24. I'm going to reread these for you because this is key to where we're going to focus on tonight. But the time is coming, indeed, it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is having this conversation with this woman. He knows the Holy Spirit is going to inspire John. It's going to become part of canonized Scripture. So he's leaving a record for all people for all time for us to understand that if you don't understand the source of worship, and if you don't have the source of worship, worship just won't be inhibited. It will be impossible. The source of worship is central to this story. John 4, 10 to 14. Let's read it again. Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, right? She's, he's talking to her about spiritual things, and, and she's so naturally minded, she can't quite get there. Where would you get this living water? Besides, do you think you're greater than ancestors, my ancestor Jacob? Jump down to verse 13. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water, speaking to the well, will become thirsty. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. He's trying to help her. We're not talking about this water. We're talking about something else. The reason why Jesus' words in verses 23 and 24 are in the future tense is because he wants us to understand 
that the source of worship that he speaks of, this living water, is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not able to live inside of us yet, then, 2,000 years ago. Because Jesus had not yet gone to the cross to die for the sins of the world, the gospel. I'm going to be preaching on that specifically in two weeks when we, we, we do in this conversation series the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. But that's what he's talking about. He's saying there is a living water. That's the Holy Spirit that is supposed to be inside of us. Why is it the Holy Spirit wasn't the Holy Spirit inside of them then? Because when we trace the account of Scripture all the way back to Genesis, we know that when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a spiritual death. And one of the consequences of that spiritual death is the Holy Spirit was not able to live in people anymore. We know from the Genesis account that when God created Adam and Eve, he breathed on them. And then we see the same thing happening again at the end of the Gospel of John after Jesus has died on the cross when he's in the upper room. He breathes on the disciples. He does that on purpose because he's trying to connect that moment to the moment of Genesis and creation. It is the restoration of the indwelling Spirit of God inside of mankind. Jesus restored what Adam had lost. And here's Jesus giving this woman some insight as to what's going to happen, what's going to be available. There is going to be a return of the indwelling Holy Spirit to people when they make a vow of devotion to Christ. And when He is in us, we are finally ready for worship. Anyone can sing songs to God and sing songs about God. True worship only happens when the Holy Spirit is within us and when that worship is instructed by Scripture. You can sing songs to God. You can sing songs about God. But what Jesus is saying here is that true worship, true worship finds its source in the Holy Spirit inside of us. In spirit and in truth, he says. If you're here tonight and you've made a vow of devotion to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, listen to me, and there is a shout of praise that is waiting to escape your mouth. Don't be Alcatraz. Don't be Alcatraz. Years ago, Vanessa and I, we were newly married. She was working for Capital One back then, and she traveled a lot, and she was out in San Diego, and I flew out to meet her, and we rented a car. We drove down to Monterey, and then we took the Pacific Coast Highway all the way up to San Francisco. And like all the other foolish tourists who had never been to California before, we packed all of our summer clothes. San Francisco was not warm. So we were there like everybody. You could tell all the tourists were because we were all in short sleeve shirts and shivering, and everybody else was in winter coats. I kid you not. But one of the things that we did while we were there is that we toured Alcatraz. It's, it was incredible. Not by today's standards, but back when it was used, the most notorious criminals in America were housed there. And you're, you, you literally go, you're walking through, you see the cells, and there's this just incredible prison. And as I was preparing for this message, I thought to myself, is that the existence of the Holy Spirit in some of us? Have we become a praise prison for the one that is in us who's longing to bring about a shout of praise from within? There is a living water inside of us. That living water is a source of worship. Will you let that shout of praise out? Years ago, back when we were still living in Mechanicsville, one of the places that we would love to boat was at Lake Anna. We're going there on Monday. We make a trip at least once a year. But back then, that was the closest place, so we would go there every weekend, and the kids were little, and we would boat until we wouldn't come off. We'd go on the water at 10, and we wouldn't come off till 8. We'd pack all of our lunches. We'd eat lunch on the water. We'd eat dinner on water. And, and, and usually by the time we were going, making the drive home from Spotsylvania, Louisa, which is where it is out in the middle of nowhere, all the way back to Mechanicsville. The kids were knocked out in the car, sleep. And we had all of our stuff packed in the back of our Ford Explorer. Vanessa's asleep. The kids are asleep. I'm half asleep. And all of a sudden, something fell over onto our boat horn that was in the back of the Explorer. Have you ever heard one of these before? 
Yeah. So, sorry, online church. Yeah. Are you awake, Avery? Yeah. <laughs> you want it again? Yeah. Now, as loud as you think that that is in here, I want you to imagine in your car on the way home. And all of a sudden, that, it's not a little gentle push of a button. Because whatever fell on that landed on it and stayed on it. And we couldn't get to it. I have never had so much adrenaline dumped into my bloodstream at one time than in that moment. You don't need five-hour energy if you're tired. I don't know why they're wasting all this money on energy drinks. Just surprise somebody and shoot this horn off. I saw Danielle put her finger there. That's <laughs> so great. I'm like, uh, uh, uh. Oh. I tell you, it will wake you up. We were so wired for the rest of that ride home. Lord have mercy. It went off until all the compressed air was done out of there. Whew. I know. I think I know to go to a therapist. I might have some PTSD from that. This is the Holy Spirit inside of you people. And it cannot wait to get out. He has a shout of praise that is inside of you that you're supposed to release to the heavens. The praise that's supposed to come out of you is not going to come out of anybody else. It's the same Holy Spirit in all of us. We understand that. There's not a different Holy Spirit for every person. It's the same Holy Spirit inside of us, but there is an expression that he partners with you in that nobody else has. There is a shout of praise. One of the reasons why God created you is because there is a shout of praise that is supposed to come out of you for all of the heavens to hear. Are you a prison of praise to the living water that's inside of you? In Luke 19.40, we have the incredible story of the triumphal entry of Jesus. And as people were shouting, Hosanna in the highest, which was a Jewish cultural declaration to acknowledge that he was the Messiah. That's what it meant when they began to shout that phrase. The religious leaders who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah came out and said, tell all of these people to be quiet. And Jesus says, if they're quiet, then the rocks themselves will cry out. The rocks themselves will cry out. Come on. We do not want to find ourselves standing before Jesus on the day of judgment and a rock that has no life had to declare the glory of God that was supposed to come out of you. Let's not give the rocks a chance. When Jesus says that God is spirit and those who worship him will worship him in spirit, that this is what he's talking about. He's talking about the indwelling Spirit of God that was, came into the world when Jesus died on the cross. This is central to what we believe about Christianity. That just as he breathed on Adam in the creation story and just as he breathed on the disciples in the upper room in the post-resurrection encounter that we see at the end of the Gospel of John, when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, he breathes on you and the Holy Spirit comes alive inside of you. If you've never made a vow of devotion to Christ, we're going to get there in a couple of weeks, there is a part of you that has yet to be born. There is a part of you that is waiting to come alive. But if you've made that vow of devotion to Christ, then the Holy Spirit is inside of you and he has a shout of praise that is waiting to escape your mouth. Let it out. I've been in youth services for the last three nights. If we were in a youth service, I would say, turn to your neighbor and say, bro, let it out. Turn to the person on the other side of you and say, bro, let it out. That's my best Pastor Omar impression. Is he good? How did I do? All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
There you go. I was up in the balcony on the, on the first night, and a friend of mine was down here on the floor who was visiting. He was the guest speaker the second night, Alex Bridger. And I just texted him and said, I see you. And he texted back and said, I, I see you up there in the VIP section. I said, no, this isn't the VIP section. This is the VOP section. It's for very, not very important people. It's for very old people. I can only be so close to that subwoofer. Oh, it's so good. Young people, what God started in your life. Hmm, come on. Don't be an Alcatraz. Let it out. But he doesn't just say that we're going to worship him in spirit. He says we're going to worship him in truth. It's important that we understand it doesn't mean that worship is a free-for-all and anything goes and everybody gets to decide for themselves what worship is. The Holy Spirit is the source. Scripture is the boundary. The Holy Spirit is the source, and then Scripture is the boundary. The Holy Spirit doesn't need a boundary, but we do. The Holy Spirit is perfect. We're imperfect. The Holy Spirit is infallible. We are fallible. So not every expression of praise that we bring is necessarily in truth. That's why the Bible talks about what worship is supposed to look like. Because the Holy Spirit is our source and then Scripture becomes the boundary of our soul as we're discerning what we believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us when we bring that shout of praise. What we do here at City Life is called psalmic worship. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Not every reference to psalmic worship is in Psalms. Most are. It's going to pop up on the screen. But others, we, a couple we find in the New Testament, I'm bringing to you, but they still find their beginning in Psalms, but the reason why I pull these New Testament terms in is because I want you to understand that the early church practiced psalmic worship. Standing ovation, Psalm 47.1. Applause, Psalm 41.1. Dancing, Psalm 149.3. Shouting, Psalm 132.9. Lifting hands, 1 Timothy 2.8. Singing, Psalm 96, 1 through 2. Quietness, Psalm 46, 10. Instruments, Psalm 150. Spiritual songs, Ephesians 5, 18 to 19. See, when the shout of praise breaks forth from you, the hope of the Holy Spirit is to become a flow of worship pouring out from your life. Not just a momentary eruption like with this. See, the idea isn't that you're one day just going to let that shout of praise out and then you're going to check the box and move on with living. No, no, no. That shout of praise is supposed to break forth for the first time and then become a flow of worship from your life. That's why the text talks about this living water. It bubbles up into eternal life. It's imagery of the headwaters of a river. At some point, that spring breaks forth from the ground for the first time, but when it does, it doesn't stop. It becomes a flow. Your worship is supposed to become a flow. Not just a momentary eruption, but as a river of worship flowing for eternity. What we do here is not an effort to try to be relevant to the world with music. What we do here is not some attempt at saying what is the world doing that causes people to be drawn to it. Let's replicate that so they'll be drawn to us. That's not what we do. Do some churches do that? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not responsible for other churches. I'm responsible for this one. That's not why we do music here. What, what we do, the music we do, it's psalmic worship. Clapping and standing and dancing and shouting and lifting hands and singing, sometimes just even moments of quietness, spiritual songs. We're going to get to that before the end of the year, spiritual language. The use of instruments in bands. That's not the world's idea. That was God's idea. If anything, the world has borrowed that from him. 
Do we use modern instruments? Sure we do. Do we use modern technology? Sure we do. We have a modern context for an ancient experience. Worship here at City Life Church is a modern context for an ancient experience. Let me give you four things that a flow of worship will do for your life and do for others. The flow liberates. When that shout of praise becomes a flow of worship from your life, your life begins to have a liberating impact on people around you. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but in 1 Samuel 16, 14 to 23, we read that there was a tormenting spirit that God had allowed to oppress King Saul. And Saul, when he was suffering from this tormenting spirit, said, go find someone to do something about this. And you know who who they found? They found this young boy named David who could play a harp, who eventually gave us most of the Psalms. You might know him as the young boy that slayed Goliath. But before he was slaying giants, he was a musician in the king's court playing a harp. And it said that whenever he played that harp, it soothed the king. This shout of praise that is supposed to come out of you, that is supposed to be a flow of worship that you unleash out of your life because of who the Holy Spirit is inside of you, is supposed to be a liberating experience for people around you. Meaning that one of the reasons why gathering like this is so important And one of the reasons why psalmic worship is so vital is that you never know who's going to be walking through those doors every week. And I'm telling you, there's going to be people in here, people watching online around the world who were tormented by something, who have despair, who feel overwhelmed. And you have the ability to give them a gift of calm supernaturally, you have inside of you the capacity to still the anxiety in other people. When you choose to be the prison, not only are you robbing yourself of something that you need, which we're going to talk about that too, you you are withholding the peace that someone else needs. Sometimes people are walking in here, they know nothing about church. They know nothing about Christianity. They know nothing about Jesus. And they are in here, we've heard the stories. And all of a sudden, they're just crying. They don't even know why they're crying. And all of a sudden, there is a peace and a calm that comes over their lives. They don't have to understand it to receive it. Will you let the shout of praise that the Holy Spirit is in you, will you let it out? And will you let that shout become a river and a flow of worship for a world that is desperate for peace? And there has never been a time in my life that I know of where people have needed peace more than they need it right now. Worship is not a sing-along, people. It's not a sing-along. We're battling for the freedom and the liberty of souls. Will you be a David to a Saul every Saturday? Acts 16, 22-28. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. They were thrown into a prison, and the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. This place is worse than Alcatraz, people. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Come on, stop it. Singing. Because there was a shout of praise inside of them that had to get out. 
They might have been in a prison, but they were not going to be a prison to the shout that was inside of them. And the other prisoners were listening. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. David and King Saul, right there. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. I so want to hit this horn right now. Just confessing it to you. Not going to do it. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners escaped. He drew a sword. He was about to kill himself because he knew he would be killed for his failure of duty. But Paul shouted to him, stop. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. They're in a prison, they're in a dungeon, and they're singing songs of worship, a shout of praise that's a river and a flow out of them. And supernaturally, that shout of praise isn't just giving peace to all the prisoners, it's giving them the opportunity for freedom, and none of them escaped. You should come on. How long do you think some of these prisoners have been in this dungeon? They were more drawn to the peace of God than the freedom that was waiting for them. Hardened criminals, many of them, would rather have stayed in prison to be in God's presence than to be on the outside and have freedom. What are you going to do with the shout of praise that is inside of you? This flow, this river of worship, it liberates. This flow, this river of worship, it stirs. It stirs us with deep feeling and emotion. Acts of expression lead to feelings of intimacy. Acts of expression lead to feelings of intimacy. If you're married, husbands, write that down. You need to know that. The greeting card industry, did you know, is a multi-billion with a B dollar industry. You know why it's a multi-billion dollar industry? Because they understand that acts of expression lead to feelings of intimacy. One of the principles of how to affair-proof your marriage is that you should have cross-gender boundaries about how deeply you share personal and intimate things with people of the opposite sex. Because acts of expression lead to feelings of intimacy. Listen to Psalm 148. Praise the Lord, it says. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the skies. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the armies of heaven. Praise him, sun and moon. There's a recurring theme. You getting it? Praise him, all you twinkling stars. Praise him, skies above. Praise him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord. For he issued his command and they came into being. Right? He created you for worship. Many things, but that's one of them. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. Praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of the ocean's depth, fire and hail, snow and clouds, wind and weather that obey him, mountains and hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all livestock, small scurrying animals and birds, kings of the earth and all people, rulers and judges of the earth, young men and young women, old men and children. Let them all praise the name of the Lord. Whew. For his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth and the heavens. He has made his people strong, Honoring his faithful ones, listen to this, the people of Israel who are close to him, praise the Lord. Now this is an incredible song. And I think we understand that it's this idea that there's a shout of praise inside of us that needs to come out. It's interesting of all of the ways that the Holy Spirit could have inspired the psalmist to close out the psalm in verse 14. It connects it to intimacy. Israel who are close to him. Because acts of expression lead to feelings of intimacy. See, one of the reasons why this shout of praise needs to become a flow of worship for you is because God wants you to feel his love. Have you ever thought or heard someone say, who comes into a charismatic, expressive worship service like this, say something to the effect of, well, that's just a lot of emotion. My answer to that is, you better believe it is. And maybe you need some of that. Because otherwise, Christianity is religious intellectualism. 
And that's not what Jesus died on the cross for. There's a reason why God relates to us primarily as a father. Because it's relational. Because it's loving. The flow stirs. This flow of worship begins to create a bond between you and your father that fills your heart with feelings of intimacy and love and closeness and desire that builds more and more over time. The flow liberates. The flow stirs. The flow inspires. The flow inspires. One of my theological mentors early on was Reverend Dr. Katie Holman. I was on staff with her years ago at the church that we came from when we left Mechanicsville to come here to Newport News in 2007. And she, this, this is one of my favorite quotes. She, she said, when it comes to Pentecostal theology, Fred, she says that psalmic worship as a charismatic, charismatic expression is people becoming stained glass windows for one another. How great is that? I love these stained glass windows in here. Aren't they fabulous? Each one tells a story. Everyone tells a story. All the symbols are important. They're designed to inspire us as we look at them of the stories of God and man. And one of the things we believe is that you are supposed to be a living, walking, stained glass window for other people in your worship. That when people see you, it is supposed to say something to them about maybe an element that's missing from their life. Even if they're a devoted follower of Christ, maybe they've not yet discovered this idea of a shout of praise becoming a flow of worship. And as they watch you worship, the Holy Spirit uses you to speak to them about something they're supposed to step into. The flow inspires. Watching people and being inspired by them is part of the human experience. I'm not going to have the band come up because I'm going to keep going. I'm going to take all the time and, and more than what I've been given. You ever watch someone yawn and yawn yourself? Yeah, sure you have. You ever watch someone yawn and say to yourself, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, and next thing you know, you can't help it. It can be impossible to resist. Even reading about yawning now, some of you yawn. A new study, this was off discovery.com, a new study offers insight into why contagious yawning is such a powerful force. Yawning when others yawn, the study suggests, is a sign of empathy and a form of social bonding. Kids don't develop this deeply rooted behavior until the age of four. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's a learned behavior. Kids younger than four don't do it. They don't do it. And it crosses all ethnic barriers. It's not like it's just this country. It's a, it's a people thing. It's a people thing. Transcends all socioeconomic classes, gender barriers. We all do it. The only exception are kids with severe autism who have sensory issues. Oftentimes they don't. And doctors are beginning to think they can use this to help begin to discover some developmental needs. Why am I sharing that? Because as people, by God's design, by God's design, we were made to be influenced by other people. And that influence can be used for either good or bad. But every single one of us have the power of influence in people's lives. Psalm 40, verse 3. He has given me a new song to sing. I hope that's going to be some of your stories tonight. A hymn of praise to our God. Listen to what it says. Many will see what he has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in the Lord. What's he talking about? He's talking about yawning. When people watch you praise, it can inspire them to put their faith in Christ. Because you have the power of influence. And what's fascinating to me, and I know it to be true from my own story, when I made a vow of devotion to Christ in December of 1990, one of the hardest things for me was to be public in my expression of praise because I was so self-conscious. I was so concerned that other people were watching me that I did not want to participate. When I was by myself, my little 1984 Honda Prelude, sunroof open, shouting, I can't sing a lick. 
I'm singing, praising God. I, I was experiencing this idea of a shout of praise welling up from inside of me, becoming a, a river. But when I got around people, because I was insecure. It's fascinating, isn't it? That the very thing that kept me from worshiping was one of the very things that was supposed to be one of the most important parts of my worship. I'm supposed to be seen. I'm supposed to be conspicuous. I know the feeling. I've said it many times. The first time you step into an environment like this, is if this is new for you, you're convinced that a spotlight's going to shine down on you. We've got a first-time hand raiser on aisle two. First-time hand raiser on aisle two. We've got somebody clapping two, four when they're supposed to be one, three. Clapping two, four when they're supposed to be one, three. Have the ushers removed this person immediately? Please put that person's nursery number on the screen so they will exit the sanctuary. And these are the kind of thoughts that we have. We do. We can be so self-conscious. I get it. I've been there. I wasted too much of my time worrying about what other people think when, when, when what I should have been thinking is, I I hope someone's watching, even if I'm doing it wrong, even if I'm clapping off beat. Okay, I'm off the clock. I don't care anymore. When, when I first became an ordained minister at Mechanicsville Christian Center, all of the pastoral staff sat across the front of the platform, and we had to wear a suit every week, every week. And we sat in these big high back chairs like we were important or something, right? And we all sat across there, all of us. The worship leader was there. There was an orchestra pit. It's a big 1,300-seat auditorium, so there was an orchestra pit. There was a massive choir. And then there was us, the pastoral team, the entire pastoral staff, then the worship leader there, and we were all standing there. And then we were participating in worship, right? Participating in worship. I kid you not. So many times I'm worshiping, I'm just going for it, right? Because I don't care anymore. And so many times when I would open my eyes, I'd be like facing the person next to me. I'm like, hey, how you doing? Not to turn back around. Maybe sing a couple of other songs next thing I'm facing this one. True story. It's true. People think that poor new pastor, somebody help him. I kid you not, I had to learn to stand close enough to the chair so I could feel the seat of the chair against my calves. And if I'm worshiping and I, I was like, they thought I was dancing in the spirit, but I was just trying to face the right direction. Just trying to face the right direction. You got to get over yourself and realize that even in our brokenness, even in our awkwardness, there is something about seeing another human being bow in deference. This word worship in the Greek is proskumeo. means to bow in deference. When you step into that moment of proskumeo, when you begin to bow in deference to your Father in heaven through acts of expression and psalmic worship, there is something inside of you that is released into the atmosphere that begins to change the way people think about God. That's why we do what we do here at the City Life Church. The last one is this, is that the flow postures the flow postures. There's Psalm 73, 25 and 28 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the Savior, I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter. And I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. How about Psalm 42, 1 through 2? As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Number 6, 24 to 26. Love this. We were singing it. Chris didn't know what I was going to be preaching on. He didn't. He's singing this as part of the worship set. Stop it already. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
And may he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance before you and give you his peace. Number 6, 24 to 26. There is nothing on this earth like the feeling of being seen by God. There is nothing on this earth like the feeling that God is looking at you. Hebrews 4.13 and Proverbs 5.21. Again, I'm not going to read them for the sake of time. So many times, and, all the, and, this, and this theme is, is all throughout Scripture, talking about there is nowhere that you can go where God cannot see you. You cannot hide from Him. At some point, we've got to stop hearing that as a threat and seeing it as a promise. At some point, we've got to stop viewing that as threatening Father because that's not who He is and seeing it as loving Father. He's trying to say, you can... You can find me everywhere. There's nowhere that you can go and not be seen by me. Psalm 22.3. I'm going to read out of the Amplified because this one verse has, has brought, I believe, a lot of misunderstanding to worship. The Amplified Bible got it right. It says, but you are holy, O you who are enthroned in the holy place where the praises of Israel are offered. You might notice, if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, you don't hear us use the language that God inhabits the praises of his people. You don't hear us use the language that, that we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come. Because we, what we believe is the Holy Spirit was here waiting for you. He's like, are they coming to church tonight or not? I don't know. They're coming? They're coming? He's been waiting here for you from the beginning of time. From the moment Adam and Eve lost the indwelling Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit was longing for the day of Jesus' death and resurrection so he could pick up where he left off. Because he wants to be in us. And not only is he in us, but he's everywhere. Right? We can't understand that. We can't. It's part of the mystery. It's part of the mystery. What we believe about worship is that it awakens you to the reality that God sees you. It awakens you to the reality that if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. It awakens you to the reality that this space is filled with his presence. And worship has a way of awakening me, of opening my spiritual eyes. That's why Jesus said, he that has an ear, let him hear. He also talked about sight, to be able to see, not just with natural eyes and natural ears, but spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. He wants us to know that his presence is there. Because there is nothing on earth like the feeling of being seen by him. You ever had kids who play sports? Doesn't matter what sport it is. I don't know if you're watching the Olympics. How long have some of those people been playing sports? Long time. Long time. I wonder how many times early on as they were on the field just before their moment was to start. They look up in the stands because they want to see that their parents see them. You've been there yourself on a little league field. Your kids come up to bat and they kind of give that furtive glance. Because knowing that someone who loves them is watching them does something in their heart. Coming into worship, finding a flow letting the shout of praise escape and let it, it become a river of worship postures you for the rest of your life. No matter where you are, no matter where you might be, you can step into a moment of saying, I am seen by him. I am seen by him. Stand with me. First Kings 18.30 reads this way. 
Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Father, I pray for every person that's in this room right now. I pray for everybody that's watching around the world. I pray, Father, for people that are watching 5, 10, 20, 30 years from now. If, if they have a broken, torn down altar, I pray that right now, in this moment of prayer, they're, they're going to begin to rebuild the altar of worship of their life. They're going to return to what they once knew. Whatever it has been that has been a has capped their shout of praise, that has dammed up their flow of worship. Come on in Jesus' name right now. We say, let that flow come. <laughs> let that rock that is impeding the stream be pulled away. And let that shout of praise bubble up from within them, Holy Spirit, that you would help them find their voice of praise once again. Rebuilding the altar of the practice of worship of their life. For people that are here tonight that they don't need to rebuild an altar, they need to build the very first one. For people that have made a vow of devotion to Christ and have never in all of their life just let that shout of praise out. Father, I pray that this week, come on, that something supernatural is going to break forth from the soil of their soul and a river of worship is going to begin to flow. A flow that liberates and stirs and inspires and postures. In Jesus' name, let it come. Let it come. Let it come. For people that are here tonight, that as they look back onto the story of their life and they cannot find a moment in time where they've made a vow of devotion to Christ, let it be that they would make it now. That the words would begin to well up inside of them even as we pray, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, that you rose from the dead and that you're coming back again. And I make a vow of devotion to you on this day and in this moment, God, that they would have a sense on the inside of you breathing on them like you breathed on Adam and Eve, like you breathed on the disciples in the upper room, like you breathed on me in December of 1990, like you breathed on so many other people here right now, that your spirit would be born anew in them and afresh, and that your spirit, the living water, that satisfies the thirst of the soul like nothing else would break forth from the soil of that soul and become a shout of praise that rises up to the heavens and joins in with the worship that's been going on there for all eternity. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, come on in every Everybody said together, amen. Amen. We'll see you next week.